everyone, and welcome to a very special episode 155. We're here to talk about Monaco again. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And we have a very, very special guest, uh, our third man uh, from, uh, he was on the ground in Monaco. He's no longer, he's now back at his own base. But we've got our very special Jamie Price with us, as always. Yes, sir, I'm here. Cool. Well, I, this is the first time we've actually talked to you live. Uh, I know you've talked to Robin before, and you've actually met him in person. I still have not met you in person, but um, we it's not just recordings this time. Um, I can actually speak to you, and you can speak back and forth, and we can actually have a conversation. We can finally get into a proper fight about the whole noise of these cars, <laughs> uh, or whatever happens. Maybe we all agree now. I don't know. But Let's, uh, be, let's, it, do it. let's beat that horse again. Yeah, well, but it's great to have you, man. So you, you're just back Ooh, from Monaco into, now? Uh, don't get into a horse-beating fight with Jamie. You know he's going to win that one. <laughs> so right? begin. I mean, am I the only one here with this? No, no, no. Oh, it's weird. It's weird that this is a step forward. We're actually talking to Jamie live interaction here. But well, Jim and I you, are actually the same I'll tell place. you, like, so when, I was, when I was on the ground in Monaco on race morning, I was walking out to the Fairmont hairpin where I was going to shoot the start of the race. And um, I was trying to do my little audio piece because I didn't have time to do it earlier in the day. And the safety car kept running by and the loudspeakers were just every 200 yards and it was too much. So I said, the heck with it. I will just call you guys in person. Cool. So well, it's brilliant. It's a great decision. Thank you. And you're, you're, you're back on American soil now, are you not? I am very jet lagged. Got back last night. Right on. Yeah, it must be tough. Covered in champagne, leaving this principality and all that. It's a tough life you lead, man. Well, if you can't hear in the background, my laundry is going with that champagne-covered clothing. <laughs> Don't you just hate uh, when yeah. you get champagne mum all over your clothes? I mean, that is just it, the biggest... No, no, no. But, but seriously, though, it's terrible stuff. It really is awful stuff. <laughs> oh, Jamie, it's so you're so brilliantly biased. That is the best jaded comment I've ever heard anyone say. It's like... Oh, champagne, it's terrible. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I you tweeted, have that experience. You can no, say I that. No, I do. I do. And I had a, I, I sent out a, I thought it was funny. It was a funny tweet on um, Sunday, and I said something to the effect of that I smell like a, a bad bachelorette party, where it's a mix of, you know, like sweat from huh. an all-day party and, sh- like, champagne the day after. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty much the summary of what I smelled like after the race. It's like a bad bachelorette but party, but less girls, I guess. Less, far less girls, <laughs> mostly just sweaty mechanics. Well, well, well that, that, that's a heck of a bachelorette party. But anyway, I, I feel. Hold on, I feel like let's not let's not belabor this. I think we just covered Monaco brilliantly. I think that Done. sums it up right there. Monaco is like a bad bachelorette party. <laughs> There and it that is. That, there it is. All right, let's end the show right there. This you, is the shortest podcast we've done in a long time, Jim. It is. Yep. <laughs> All right, but Jamie, you, you are uh, indeed the superstar among the three of us right now, and we we want to know. Hold on a second. I thought you were a get, racing driver now. Well, well, we'll get to that at the end maybe, but we're talking about the real guys right now, and we watch it on television. We commentate on it. And Jim and I have a little bit uh, of extra access, access than some, but you were there. You were on the ground. You were, you know, feet from the cars. And we really want to get just, like, a sense of, like, what, what is that place like? Because it's talked up so much about the wealth, the glitz, 
the glamour, the women, and everything. But so you were really there. Yep. Don't like being covered in champagne. Figure that part out. Don't. What's it like? It really is um, as amazing as they make it out to be on TV. Uh, I think that this is one of the few sporting events in the whole world where the the venue trumps the like the sport itself. It's kind of like the Masters is bigger than golf. Wimbledon is bigger than tennis. Monaco mm. itself is bigger than a car race. It is truly, I can't put into words, I can't take enough pictures. There's no way that I could ever compile enough pictures that, you know, accurately describe what the Monaco weekend is, is like on the ground. It really is that so crazy. Does, so that's uh, that's perfect uh, segue. Is it? Does that mean it's an easier place to shoot or a more difficult one? Um, I loved it. I I feel like there's there's some races that I go to where I'll come out of the event and be like, I covered that in full. I don't know that I could add much to it that weekend. Um, Monaco, from practice one, from day one, from walking the track, I felt like I could be there for years and get different stuff. And, and you could walk five feet and do something different. Um, the track is a completely different place in the sunshine as it is in the cloud, as it is in rain. Um, you know, it's really, it's really amazing that they, you can do so much with a relatively small track with, you know, relatively few corners. Um, and it's not as difficult to get around as you imagine it would be. But I felt like at the end of the weekend, I felt like I hadn't got around to as many places as I wanted to get. Like there's still probably a full sector of the track that I didn't really get to explore at all on, on inside or outside. So wow, I look forward to going back next year, hopefully. And for many years to come, um, would be the goal. So, and I look forward to being shoved in your luggage. Yes. And Con- going- please, please get shoved into my luggage. So do you, <laughs> Jamie, have, uh, do you camp out at one corner or one, one cool spot for most of the weekend? Or do you just move around constantly? Or I mean, how typical is that? Um, I'm moving almost constantly. I'll, I'll kind of stand in an area for, you know, basically as long as it takes to get the, the shots that I want. And, and you could pretty much stand in a corner and do something different every five minutes you know it's changing aperture it's changing shutter speed um and that's camera lingo for anybody that's into photography but there's a lot you can do that changes changes the scene itself um you can slow shutter speeds down and do really like really cool pans with the cars and you get tons of motion um you can get better depth of field you know there's just so much you can do but i was you know you're you're hustling the whole time i mean during the race practice sessions are are fairly easy but the race i tell you what you're you're running the whole time it's really intense did you spend any or much time in the tunnel near the tunnel i i did i did spend the first i spent the first practice sec- session um for f1 in the tunnel and I spent uh, nearly the whole GP2 practice session in the tunnel or around it because there's a lot you can do. The, the Nouvelle Chicane is right at the bottom of the tunnel. Um, you can mm-hmm. go, you can walk to Portier, which is at the front end of the tunnel. There's a lot you can do in the tunnel, like shooting, you know, both directions. You can shoot cars in the tunnel. You can shoot them coming into the tunnel. You can shoot them at leaving the tunnel. There's a ton you can do with it. Um, so, but yeah, I was in the tunnel for a while. So that must have sounded really cool. 
It did. It sounded. <laughs> it sound, you know, that, was, that was. I did actually wear earplugs the whole weekend. But here's and here's why. Because you'll never be closer to an F1 car going 160 miles an hour as you are at Monaco. I could have high fived Nico Rosberg on his cool down lap um, coming around some of these corners. That's how close did, they are. Did you? Did you? Oh my God! If you didn't, no, 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 no. I was, I was, oh. I was waiting at at the basically the pit lane area to run out and get covered in champagne for my bachelorette party. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that sound. But it did, it it did sound. Was it, it did was sound it good. At yes. Yeah. So it was better. Yeah. I, Jim, Jim, and I. You know, I theorized, and of course, Jim supported this. That uh, if there was one place that would really bring alive these engine sounds, this would be the place. That was, and it. Uh, we're still, you know, I'm I'm definitely getting used to it. Jim was a, f- a proponent of it from the beginning, and uh, so we were hoping that this might win some more folks over. Well, I'll tell you what, though, the I I can't put into words the the what it was like to shoot GP2 in the tunnel because GP2 was always, you know, not quite as loud as the V8s and the V10s, but it was pretty dang loud. And compared to the F1 cars, you definitely needed earplugs in the tunnel for F1. You not only needed earplugs in the tunnel for GP2 cars, but even with earplugs in, your ears were ringing. It was it was actually <laughs> fairly painful to be in there and to shoot in there for an extended period of time. I, you know, I, I can't describe it. It, your teeth rattle. It's loud. See, that, it's does, like that doesn't sound awesome to me. I mean, I guess people like that, but it's, you know, I don't know. It's really impressive is what it is. It's, it's very impressive. You, you feel the um, car, you feel the speed as it comes by you. Um, and leaving the leaving the tunnel, I, I thought GP two was. I almost enjoyed GP two more than I enjoyed GP or Formula One because the GP two cars leaving the tunnel, heading down into the Nouvelle Chicane, they were bottoming out and throwing sparks. They were all like spitting fire. They're loud as heck. It, it was a really intense experience. And the people that I talked to, kind of just casual fans at the bars and all that, they were like, "Wow, GP two was just incredible." And F one cars were fun to watch because they're getting loose everywhere and you know they're they're still fast but gp2 was kind of unanimous unanimously voted between the people that i talked to about it as being kind of the the series that um was really impressive uh, as far as like actually being there and experiencing it i think i think what you just said jamie gets to the heart of it and and it also makes perfect sense why jim doesn't doesn't get it i think what the naturally aspirated engines did with no turbos to muffle the sounds and sparks and all that kind of stuff it's the perception it's the perception of speed the perception of power that you get from gp2 when the f1 cars are in fact more powerful and in fact way more efficient about supplying that power but you don't you don't get the perception and that's that's the difference and that's what's going to take time for people to get used to we, yep. we just uncovered a major mystery here i i really but you know like to not not be in jim's corner on this one but i really did enjoy shooting f1 in monaco it's a very special place and and the noises it sounds good but it's never going to sound better than it does right there because essentially your their cars are barricaded in by you know like cliffs and 
you know, enormous hotels and a tunnel and right. um, our arm. Co- I mean, truly, they're they're inches away from you. You're, you can stand in places that it's it's just because the, the circuit has so much history. It's been going for 72 years. They're, if they were going to build this track today, they would never allow you to to be as close to the cars as as we can get. That's why I mean, I've done street circuits before with F1 and you're nowhere near as close and they're they're catch fenced out the wazoo. Monaco still sure. has tons of areas like all the way around the hotel hairpin is no catch fence. Um heading away from Maribo is no catch fence on driver's left um and they they come like right next to that barrier as you're coming down there. The wow. heading into Maribo as well there's no there's no catch fence. Um there's a photo hole that they encourage us to stand in at the exit of casino square like your your foot is in between the the barrier and which is sitting on the actual street slash racetrack and your foot is between that and the sidewalk and there's about six inches between (laughs) the sidewalk and the barrier and if a car was going to slap that and actually move the if it was going to move the barrier your foot would be in the way it's like nowhere else that i've ever shot Honestly, wow, nice. That, so that, that, that's that, amazing. Yeah, that's great. I'm so just looking up, um, you know, and I guess to finish up the, uh, uh, you know, GP2 and F1 conversation and, and the sounds and whatnot. Um, I'm glad to hear that they sound really cool. So maybe the solution isn't so much trumpet exhausts as it is just put all the racetracks inside tunnels. Maybe that could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, be, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> go to you know, go to Barcelona. It's just one big windy long tunnel, and it just sounds <laughs> awesome everywhere. Could be one way to do it. Um, but you know, in my, in my point isn't, isn't that I think, oh wow, the new F1 cars sound awesome, and I, I I wish everything sounded like that and whatever. It's just I think it's a lot more interesting. Um, overall, good for the sport to keep moving forward and have new new you know companies come into it, and whatever. I mean, so the Delaras are all Renault V8s. And, uh, and, you know, Delara chassis for GP2s. And that's like, you know, obviously Delara doesn't make road cars. They don't really care what the marketing is beyond race cars. There's not a bigger picture there and whatever. There's, you know, they're not there to promote the Delara brand. And, you know, Renault, of course, exists all over the place in Formula One and elsewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I think it's like I, I would, you know, between having F1 cars that are quiet and having a spec series where, like, yeah, they're really loud and raucous and sparks come out of them, but there's not, you know, there's no Ferrari, there's no top teams, or you don't get Mercedes, or you don't get Honda, or you don't get these other country companies. I think it's just sort of better on the whole. So, yeah, I'm not disagreeing that, you know, if we were all in the tunnel at Monaco in 2004, that that wouldn't be a cooler sound than what you get in 2014. But uh, there's, you know, uh, a little bit to it there. But I'm glad to hear that it worked well, uh, you know, at the uh, in the Principality, and uh, sounding really cool and whatnot. So you're not allowed to record any audio of formula one cars to share with us are you there's like they like have copyrighted the sound of it somehow they they have yeah fom owns the sound of an f1 car um and video too like obviously fom owns the video rights i can't record anything on an iphone i can't record anything on anything it's still pictures only for me wow yeah so getting getting to more of the drama of monaco uh Obviously, the media covered, uh, so for what we saw and what we read, there was a lot of tension, and it was very easy to see building between the two Mercedes teammates. And it was very clear that after qualifying, Hamilton was extremely unhappy. And indeed, after the race, it didn't seem much better. Did you, did you get any uh, inside information on 
what that was like? Did you talk with or see, or did you see anything like with any Mercedes engineers, staff, or the drivers? I mean, what did you notice? Um, I really didn't notice that much. I mean, we obviously follow the the goings on and and kind of the dramas of the weekend, but um, I I only I only see what their facial expressions are uh, in press conferences and when they're doing the media bullpit basically. And, and that's really the only time we see the drivers and you can tell a lot about Hamilton wears his heart on his sleeve. And I like that about him in some ways. Cause when he's, when he's on it, he's really happy. He smiles a lot. He's, he's easy to work with. Um, and then Rosberg kind of, he's, a, he's not quite that easy to read, but you can definitely tell that, that the two of them are have a stressed relationship, and I know that they were good friends before this year started. Um, so it's it's certainly been interesting. Like I could tell, I got a picture of Lewis on the podium after the race, and and he's just kind of holding his head in his hands with that terrible haircut. But it's <laughs> it's, it's really indicative of of how he is feeling. I mean, but I don't really think he is justified in feeling that way because. He's won the last what three? So four. or four, four? Yeah, four. So you know, wah wah. You didn't win Monaco. I mean, obviously, it would have been awesome to win Monaco, but he's got the best car he's probably been given in his whole career, and it's it's not a championship between five drivers like it was a year or two ago. It's a championship between him and Nico, and in my mind, there's nobody else that's going to be in it. It's not going to be a Red Bull. It's not going to be a Ferrari. It's going to be a Mercedes. It doesn't matter what kind of comeback the other teams pull. Mercedes has looked the dominant team in person. Forget the media. Forget on, on TV. In person from practice one, you could see that the car was was so much more committed over the curbs than anyone else. And it locks really? up so infrequently. Yeah, they, they, it just looks planted the whole time. So what about Ricardo in the closing stages when you know, Hamilton had something in his eye or whatever. And Nico, or Nico Ricardo, Daniel Ricardo, just started putting in just like these wicked fast laps. Was that just like super tense and not planted or how did, how did that look? Um, I, unfortunately, that that's the problem. I hate covering the race. The race is my least favorite part of the whole weekend because you're not there doing pretty artsy photos. You're, you're there doing like waiting for a pass or a crash to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at, at that particular time, I was... I was running, not walking, running along the driver's left harbor um, past the swimming pool chicane because there was like, I don't know what, five or six laps to go. And and you have to run. So I was at port on the in driver's right of Portier. So I had to run all the way to up to the Fairmont hairpin. Um, so you got to go up a flight of stairs through a hotel basically down across the casino, down an elevator lift, underneath the track, into the tunnel, down the tunnel to the Nouvelle Chicane, around the Nouvelle Chicane, all the way back to the harbor, past the boats, past everything else. I mean, you're walking like, you're. well, I was running more like three quarters of a mile, a mile, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so while all this exciting, intense action was happening, that was the place that I was stationed for the race by the guys that I was working with. So we each have a place that we go for the race and an area that we kind of work. And my area was the Fairmont Hairpin um, and Portier and, and kind of do some interesting stuff in that area. And I wasn't to be anywhere else until the end of the race, whereas the end of the race I was told to be 
basically the goal was for me to get sprayed with champagne. So mission accomplished. <clears throat> so I was, I was running along the Harbor during the closing ra- stages of the race. Cause you had to run all the way across the Harbor, then over a bridge into pit lane and then kind of out of pit lane down along driver's right of the, um, swimming pool area and wait on driver's right in the pit lane more or less. So there's a lot races are really intense and stressful because you're, you're really not able to cover as much of the action as, as you'd really like to, because you have to be at the end of the day, you, you can't be everywhere at once. You have to be back for the, the stuff that matters. Right. Of course. Of course. So you, you don't see, you just see so much dominance in what Mercedes is doing. You don't see hope for any other team, really. Not as much. Not from. I mean, it, it wasn't as as blatantly obvious. And it, I mean, that's been true all year long. Like, I I look forward to the day that Mercedes wins this championship because I said from February that they were they were the team to beat. It's it has not looked like anybody else. And it's <laughs> ama- I'm in, I'm amazed that Red Bull is as close to the front as they are because having basically turned almost no laps um in preseason testing, it's really impressive. And then, you know, the covering the Chinese Grand Prix and the Malaysian Grand Prix um both both were won by Hamilton, so you know, it's it's been a a pretty dominant year for them. No other sure. way to put it. Sure. So yeah, I I think um, I think the racing was great when we watched on television. It was plenty exciting. There was you know there was the fun drama of Nico versus Lewis, but what what you experienced is also the uh, the Mon- is Monaco itself and. Yep. So now it's time for the um, paparazzi part of the show. Oh, jeez. First of all, who are you wearing? Second of all, <laughs> <laughs> second of all, what was I mean? What was it like there? Like, like yacht parties and all the different events and all these different things. And again, champagne, hopefully in a glass every once in a while for you. I mean. What was your access to stuff like that, and what was your experience? Well, um, to answer the first question, I was wearing Target brand jeans and oh. Target brand um, polos, which I'm a photographer. I don't get paid tons and tons of money. I did get to go to Monaco, but it's it, we're on a, shoe, a shoestring budget. I had uh, I was staying it, actually. Now but, that you've done Monaco, isn't it now you you wear Target? Yeah, I wear Target. <laughs> Um, How very Chip Ganassi of you. (laughs) (laughs) The guys I was staying with, they kind of stay in one area that they've kind of gone back to every year. And it's um, Monaco's tiny. You can walk from one end of it to to another in about half an hour. I mean, basically, when you look at the racetrack, that's Monaco. Um, Yeah, wow. And and the country is – it goes just a little bit beyond the racetrack itself. I mean, it's very, very small. I don't know if it's – correct but i've heard that the the country itself is like maybe a mile like a square mile in in you know actual area size um jamie i'm so glad you brought that up because it brings up my wikipedia my wikipedia uh, research it is according to wikipedia eight tenths of a square mile yeah and it it is the second smallest country in the world the smallest country in the world is Vatican City. 
So but he- here's something that go. Wikipedia won't tell you. They all Monaco has the I don't know how to put this politically correctly um monaco has more police officers I, I it feels like they have more police officers per capita than anywhere else in the world and all of them are horrible people i'm sure there's an exception <laughs> to this rule but they're they're so arrogant and so rude and i hope that no monaco police officers are listening to this and if you are you know i hope you're the exception to the rule but your buddies are assholes <laughs> Ah, ah, ah. That was not on Wikipedia. No, there you go. I didn't think it would be, but anyway, yeah. It's it, so back to the original point. Where the guys I was working with, we stay not in Monaco. We stay up the hill in in the ghetto um, of France, and and <laughs> you, and from our hotel, or not our hotel. It was a, an apartment that, that we rented. There's four four guys that were living in a one bedroom, one bathroom apartment for five, six days. So really lavish accommodations. Um, but we had a lot of fun and we could, from our balcony, we could actually see the pit lane and at night. Um, cause you're, I mean, it's, there's a lot of elevation to that part of, of France and, and Monaco. So your our hotel balcony or our apartment balcony was looking not straight down, but if you look kind of out, you're, you would see, um, La Rascasse and the, the pit lane area and kind of the area after the swimming pool. Um, and at night when we, if we had the door open, you'd hear like of all night long, just parties and disco lights. Jamie, that's Jim's favorite song. Yeah. I I have that album actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it it was, so we were, we were staying in the ghetto, but um, yeah, cool place. What was the other question you had? What uh, I was asking, only the highest brow People magazine questions. Did you yes. see, like, who who famous did you see? Did you like? Did you dislike? Was there something like, oh, they were nice and I expected to dislike? Or, like, what was that yeah. like? Um, well, I, I had, so I kind of did everything that, you know, you could ever hope to do in Monaco during Grand Prix weekend. So one of the assignments that we had to cover was the, uh, the Amber Lounge fashion show, which is always like, if you watch the highlight reels of Monaco, that is always on it. Like they have the drivers dressed up in, you know, some ridiculously expensive suit and their girlfriends do the same thing. And then they have actual like models from these high-end brands strutting down um a runway and normally they do it at the pool at one of the hotels kind of actually it's in france i think but they do it at the pool um and this year they decided to move it inside so the lighting conditions were terrible but who should show up is none other than justin bieber uh (laughs) there um the prince of monaco graced us with his presence uh, there was a few models that I don't know their names. Um, a lot of like, I mean, people like these people would walk in front of the paparazzi screen and there's probably 50 photographers all like popping flashes. And, and I'm kind of sitting there like, who are these people? And, and we all look around at each other and, um, and, and, and like ask who was that that just walked in front of the screen. So, uh-huh. you know, it, it was interesting. We did see, a. a a lot of celebrities, but mainly at the the Amber Lounge show. Who is, was, who, is the, who is the biggest celebrity for you personally? Who is the one that you were most starstruck to see? I'm a Jeremy Clarkson fan, and and what what cracked me up is I actually got a picture of him. Um, just I, I I think it was probably just 
right time because you know you're you're what you do with your eyes you'll just kind of scan the room and you'll you might make eye contact with someone for the the briefest of moments and it's not like they're staring at you it's just you're looking at them and then you just move on your eye catches them well i happen to catch jeremy clarkson looking straight down the barrel of my lens giving me the most evil eye you've ever seen in your whole life (laughs) and and like i no other picture i got was sharp the others it was I mean, truly, we're in a dark room, and, and I didn't—I actually didn't have a flash with me because I was not told that they'd moved it inside. So I was expecting we're going to be outside, we're going to have the sun setting, like it's going to be great ambient light. We're going to have so much like awesome stuff to work with. There's going to be a pool that you can use with cool reflections. I was thinking like this is going to be awesome. What I instead got was basically a, a club with no lights, and oh, I didn't have a flash, so I was using really high ISO, really low shutter speed and a really shallow depth of field to get as much light into my camera as possible. And every other picture of Jeremy Clarkson is soft and messy, but that picture is tack sharp and he's giving me like the go screw yourself look. Oh my God. Can we have that photo? Can that photo Absol- live on ab- fun with cars.com? Cause that ab- is absolutely, I want it, oh I want it to, God. I want it to be turned into a meme or something. <laughs> I think we can help make that happen. Well, there you go. Here at the F1 show, we are here to help each other. That's 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 what we're here. So, Jim, what do you got? I mean, you got it. What you got to know? What is your what is your glamour question? I'm not I'm not the glamour question guy so much. No, but but, did, but you gotta be. There gotta be something. I, there is there like a Star Wars glamour question or something. Yeah, all the Star Wars glamour. No, I, so I did find out Monaco does have the the both per capita and per area basis the largest police force anywhere in the world. So you're definitely right about wow. the quantity of police officers. Wikipedia does not articulate about the quality of the personalities of said police officers. <laughs> However, but, I, I'm but inclined you know, to think that you're correct. It's it's really interesting because when you drive from France or Italy into Monaco, there's no sign that says like "Welcome to Monaco." There's no border. There's nothing. I mean, it's obviously Europe, so there you know you're in the EU. But there's nothing that says "Welcome to Monaco." The only reason you know you're now in Monaco, you get to a roundabout, and on one side of the roundabout, there's like 20 police officers, and they're all standing around yelling at people. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's the that's the only way you know you've entered Monaco is like, oh look, there's the cops. Yeah. So uh, what was uh, what's what's Friday at Monaco like? Because Monaco's unique to have their practice on Thursday, nothing Friday, and then qualifying Saturday. Well, I was super pumped that there was nothing on on Friday because um, me and James Moy, who's the photographer that I work for, he's the Force India photographer. He and I were given the special assignment by VJ Malaya to shoot his yacht party from 7 p.m. to 4 a.m. So we <laughs> we went to bed around like 4:30 ish, um, and I woke up on Friday morning around. 11:45 to the wailing sounds that Jim would hate of GP2 cars. I don't going hate loud cars. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so that, um, that's what I that's what I woke up to. But I'm really glad that um, I'm really glad that the the Friday is not much going on because uh, James and I both needed a good sleep in until about noon to to feel like right about anything. Well, what was so. the yacht party like? It was wild. There's, I mean, the Indian Empress is the world's largest private yacht. Your Wikipedia will tell you this as well. Um, it's crewed by a, a full-time staff of at least 30, I think. Jeez. And 
it's it's massive. It's like ninety two meters long, um, which wow. is, yeah, like what basically triple that. So that's what you get it in feet. Um, it's yeah, well, huge. yeah, more than triple, more than triple. It's huge, and they they had. And obviously, like, they don't have the whole thing open to the guests, but they had 550 people on board. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And, and uh, so that was the good bachelorette party. And yeah, that, that was, bachelorette well, party was Sunday. Yeah, but you know what? It's, if, you, if you ever go to a bachelorette party, and which I've never been, but some, any party, it doesn't matter what it is. You want to be enjoying it, but... James and I enjoyed it, but we were watching and working. So we were, they had an Indian fashion show. It was sponsored by Kingfisher Beer and Signature Whiskey or whatever it is. Um, there was just a lot of, like, VJ's different brands that were kind of sponsoring this. And, and the highlight of his night was the, the fashion show. They had two fashion shows, um, actually, one at, like, 11.45 at night and another at, like, one thirty in the morning and they had um indian men and women um dressed up in really elaborate gowns and and things like that so it was it was interesting i was we were all pretty over like being on that boat by about three in the morning though <laughs> well yes because you know roughing it of course yeah uh it was a long day that day because you i mean I, you have a full day at work starting at seven in the morning shoot Free practice one, GP2 practice, you know, free practice two, then GP2 qualifying, and, and that puts you at like 6 o'clock in the afternoon, and then time to go to work again for another nine-hour day. Of course, the highlight of your Friday, though, had to be meeting Craig. Craig, I did meet Craig. Yeah, it, it, so Craig actually found me um, outside. I was I drank so much Red Bull this past weekend, I don't I'll probably be high on the stuff for the next 10 years. But uh, the Red Bull hospitality is right outside the media center. It's Or not outside the media, outside the paddock. So you'd have to leave the paddock to go to the Red Bull hospitality. Um, and so I was sitting there chatting with a friend of mine who was on the yacht party the previous night. And we had, we were just having a good time laughing. And, and this guy comes up to me and he says, are you Jamie? And I was like, yes. And I had my photo vest and... Um, my camera kit on me and a couple of Red Bulls stuffed in my pockets. Um, and, huh. and he was like, are you Jamie? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, I assumed you had to be because you've got to be the only American photographer in this country. So there it was. Craig and I had a good chat, um, you know, talking, talking engine noises and the racing action from the previous day. And, you know, it was, it was, I always love meeting F1 fans because at the end of the day, I'm an F1 fan. I love the sport with from the bottom of my heart it's what i grew up watching so you know i can talk about it all day long yeah and we're actually going to have plenty more from craig in a moment um but i was i was actually curious about that now as an f1 fan so are you gonna when you come back on the plane from monaco is it like one of the first things you do to sit down and watch the race from monaco to actually see what happened or is I actually that just, just put a, put i actually just finished watching it right before uh before this so oh, I, nice. do, all right. I do know what has happened but i do normally do that because you know it's like going to any race you don't and that's honestly, Jim, that's why I feel so strongly about the sounds. I'm not just like moaning about it because I've liked to moan. Um, I, you don't see the race. I, I don't, I couldn't tell you what kind of lap times Hamilton was putting in versus Rosberg, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't see the race. You only see what's happening in front of you and what's happening in front of you should justify the amount of money that you have to spend as a fan to be there. Um, 
so you know f1 i while the racing was was pretty good um it doesn't justify the ticket of a monaco grand prix grandstand ticket unless it absolutely just blows your mind which it used to but i don't think it does anymore yeah and i and i get that that's your opinion but i just i wonder how over the coming you know months and years and whatever if if ticket sales go way down i imagine they would you know do something to correct that but so far it seems like people still enjoy what's going on only because of inertia or whatever i think f1 has a bigger problem on its hands that you know if you if you look at pictures of monaco from years past there was grandstands everywhere like literally everywhere they used to have a probably 200 person grandstand on driver's right as they head up from um sandovat to the casino square you know up massonet area you know that's gone um, the several hundred person, probably like a couple thousand person grandstand on driver's left, uh, outside, like basically in front of the, the boats on the Harbor. And you see those iconic pictures of Senna and Mansell coming around the swimming pool. Um, that, that, that entire grandstand is gone. It's replaced by one that maybe has a hundred people that can sit on it. There's so much less grandstands on all tracks than there used to be. They're putting like China doesn't even have, it has grandstands, but they put stuff over. Yeah, it's all them, giant so it signs. Like, it's all covered up and there's like nobody sitting in any of them. Yeah. And, and what Monica's doing is they're just taking them out. Like there used to be a great photo. Cause I, I've real I've noticed this stuff because we use the grandstands and spectators as backgrounds for the, for the cars. Cause you don't want, what you don't want is a bunch of ugly, like, you know, recovery trucks or, um, you know, orange cones or, you know, whatever crap in the background, you want it to be clean and pretty and colorful and not like just a mess. So we use grandstands as one of our main backgrounds if we can, and we want it to be as clean as possible. And we also want to show that there's people at the race. So these are things that I really look at. And if you look at old pictures, there's a picture where they, you are shooting down, um, from driver's right, on to back. So you're basically looking straight toward the Nouvelle Chicane and, and kind of the hill as they come out of the Monaco tunnel. There used to be a huge grandstand there. It was, it was massive and it was, it wasn't massively wide, but it was tall. It was probably like 150 feet tall and it would, it had maybe a thousand seats in it for spectators. Two years ago, they pulled that out. Um, so since I went in 2008 as a fan, I think they've probably pulled at least at least ten to fifteen thousand grandstand seats out of the place. Hmm. Wow, wow. So yeah, I, I think that personally, I think that's indicative of the sport as a whole. I think it, you know, forget the engine noises. It's for everybody. The cost doesn't justify the end product. Um, and and I don't know. I, don't, I mean, it's just when you look at pictures of old, it, it's they used to have. 100,000 fans in Monaco, and I would be surprised if they had 20 this year. Yeah, well, I wonder how much of that might change in the post-Bernie Ecclestone era, uh, because I do, you get the sense that, you know, back in the day, like, you know, whatever, 60s, 70s, something like that, it was sort of, you know, just like you could decide on the Saturday, like, oh, yeah, Grand Prix is in town, let's go do that tomorrow. Like, you know, people would just do that. It wasn't, you know, you weren't saving for months to do that and whatever. And, you know, the seats weren't went so crazy busy. You'd have, you know, sit on the hillside, have a picnic, do whatever. And then, yeah. you know, obviously with, you know, Ecclestone and all the investment and CBC partners and the whole way it's all built up. Now 
everyone is just trying to squeeze as much as possible. It's all shareholders involved, and they need to keep growing and need to keep growing. So in a way, I get the sense that, you know, every year you hear that the Australian Grand Prix is not going to happen. And then every year, they, okay, we finally came to an agreement. And then, you know, every, I'm sure we'll get the stories again pretty soon. Oh, yeah, Australia might be off the calendar. It's a great race, but they can't afford it. So I think there's a, a an ongoing battle about, you know, the shareholders who just want more and more money. Of course, I need, you know, once once you get there, that's that's really all they're interested in. Um, that don't have a sense for the sport and, and what's going on. Um, but also how that ties in with, you know, uh, the, the Internet and, and TV coverage and everything like it is, too. I mean, now we can get such good coverage on TV um, and, and, you know, in some places, not not everywhere in the world, of course. Um, or I wonder in the next couple of years, if they go to more Internet coverage, that it's like it almost doesn't matter what's going on at the stands um, if all the money is coming from advertisers and from sponsors just getting uh, getting their you know their brand in front of hundreds of thousands or millions of people or whatever on on uh, you know the internet and on on coverage and things like that, which I think takes something away from it. I mean, the one major race I was involved with is the 24 Hours of Dubai, uh, and this was years ago in 2010. Um, and there's a pretty big internet following. You know, Radio Le Mans does the coverage for it. There's all like live streaming and all this kind of stuff. But there were like hundreds of people in the stands and like that's it like just hardly anybody there and yeah that's a 24-hour race so you know you're not going to get people there constantly um you know but i i was amazed it's like no one was there there was like no local fans at all and there was there was a few but it was all about you know everything was external it was fans people back in europe people and to, to the americas to some extent uh and and so on and um, I hope that F1 doesn't go that way. I mean, certainly they're doing more in places like, you know, in Singapore and Bahrain, places where they have these big concerts and other big events that are completely separate from the race, but um, just, you know, there's obviously support races as well, but just to try to make it a spectacle that's worth paying, you know, hundreds of dollars for. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm hopeful maybe if all the money, um, all, the, all the really big money is made by people doing deals through uh, TV and Internet connections and things like that and, you know, ever getting a brand in front of all these eyeballs, maybe they can afford to uh, have tickets be cheaper because they're not making money from everyone just walking in the gate. Um, and then they can, you know, if, if somebody gets back to a little bit of the spirit of it, um, if, it's, if it's too expensive to, you know, go out there and have fun and, like, bring your kids, I feel like that's a big threshold to cross you know it's like if it's like disney world becomes too expensive to take your kids to it then what's the point it's a bit like that with racing it's like yes of course there are people that just want to go there as, as grown-ups and do their thing but i feel like for the next generation of people to be excited about it and inspired by it and so on um it has to be something that you know normal families that uh you know want to be able to go check us out and you know get you know the little, little ones get excited and have a fun day out and so on uh that you know needs to be affordable for that kind of stuff so um yep. i guess i'm generally hopeful because i think that the you know the markets will kind of things kind of ebb and flow and right now we're kind of in this you know crappy situation the way the money and everything is but i'm hopeful that that will kind of you know swing back the other way a little bit and maybe after bernie's no longer in charge someone else takes over or something and uh, maybe they just bring a couple different ideas to it but um it is um, a shame to see to hear you know how much it sounds like it's gone down just you know in monaco specifically yeah and and speaking of bernie um i i don't want to talk about him too much but the I, I have in a lot of ways you know he's he's a incredible businessman it is truly impressive what he has done to build the sport from nothing to everything and um he actually does genuinely have the best interest of the sport at heart like you know i i really i think that's a hard pill to swallow for some people but having spent a lot of time around him just 
kind of idly, casually listening to the conversations he has with people as I'm taking pictures of him. He is a fascinating person, truly fascinating. And he's, he's really well-liked by the drivers. Um, he's really pretty generally well-liked by the teams and team managers. And, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy. It, I wish that I could spend a day with him and, and learn from him because he, he has a lot that you could learn from. Every, everybody could learn from him. He's a really interesting character. Well, yeah, I mean, there you go. And I, it, I, there's a lot of ways to look at him evil as an, as an evil guy, just thinking of the money, you know, but then just as you said, it really is a lot more complicated than that. And it is, does seem genuine that he would have, um, the team and the driver's interest at heart, but boy, has he he profited from it a lot. And it's hard. It's hard to get past that part, you know, as a, as is him being a billionaire, and then hearing, well, he's got the best interest of sports. Like, well, thumb a hundred mil towards the guy. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's a huge sum of money, but not a huge percentage of his wealth. And that that's the part that gets difficult. But well, uh, the, I mean, we all we all know the story. But the reason he's a billionaire is because he saw the vision that no one else saw, and he offered it to the teams, and the teams said no. Right. And, and they wanted to race. And they they wanted to race. They didn't see the commercial value in it, and. And so he was like, fine, I'll buy it. And I think he what, paid maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars for the commercial rights for a uh, hundred years or something stupid like that. And The story I heard once was that it was a million dollars and there were ten teams at the time. And he, he offered each team, give me a hundred grand and you'll get ten percent interest in this. And they all turned him down. Yep. And so he was like, fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting you know, guy. All right. I don't, I don't, I mean, some people probably do think that Bernie is just an evil person or whatever. And I think, you know, most people that follow the sport closely, though, it's a little more nuanced than that. But I think there is a dynamic with, with anyone. I mean, you, you know, with business leaders or politicians or whatever that, you know, you certainly start with, I just have the best interest in mind. Also, I would like to make some money because it'd be cool to make a living doing this thing. But once you get to the top level of these huge multinational corporations and there's shareholders and there's underlings and now, you know, some of the decisions he makes is responsible for the livelihood of, you know, thousands of people around the world. You know, there is, of course, that has to be factored in. But it's like, yeah, I, you know, the the good of the sport, which is a very, you know, kind of a vague thing anyway because what he thinks is good isn't necessarily what you know you know bernie was the one talking about having sprinklers on tracks and like shortcut joker laps and some various things that he comes up with every once in a while and you know medals and double points i think was some of his deals but anyway he comes up with some weird things that you know whether he thinks is in the good goodness of the sport or whatever but obviously there are commercial concerns that anyone in that kind of power um has to you know be aware of and they've got you know shareholders to answer to and and you know boards of directors and various people so you know I, yeah I, I appreciate the sentiment that uh you know he has he has the right uh you know his mind is in the right place and i'm sure there's you know decisions he makes that he's conflicted about as well where it's like you know i'd really like to do it this way but you know business is business and you know decisions have to be made and you know not everybody can win on every transaction so uh which is why i think we get these you know uh you know these deals with the race promoters where yeah you know you know this grand prix isn't going to happen anymore and then it turns out okay maybe it will and you know it's and we did, still don't even know the full story with the new jersey grand prix for example uh port imperial street circuit right because we get these you know little fragmented news reports about hey everything's great and it's on schedule and then bernie Eccleston says yeah well of course we're going to be racing there it's on the calendar and then it's like never happens and then you know we don't and i think what you get from bernie is this um overshoot of reality 
to try to get, you know, the reaction he wants. So he says, oh, this is never going to happen, you know, just to kind of get the people signing contracts to freak out a little bit and whatever. So it's it's hard to know. I mean, I don't know if you've spent much or any time with him or ever, you know, had a, you know, just listened into a conversation with him personally, just as a as an individual um, away from being the public figure that he is. I mean, I, you wonder, you know, if you just had had dinner with him somewhere, just, you know, went out for a nice glass of wine or something just to really, uh, you know, see what is what what he thinks without the pressure of, uh, of being the guy, or maybe if, if he retires, you know, b- before he passes away, if he'll actually ever have a chance to sort of just speak frankly about, you know, oh yeah, I really, Richard would have gone this way, but but he couldn't. But that would be a, a pretty amazing opportunity. But um, well, yeah, it's, anyway, this has been both a prolific and profound conversation. I mean, we went from the bookend of Jeremy Jeremy Clarkson giving Jamie the evil eye, all the way to what Bernie Ecclestone is doing right and wrong. I, I, I just love it all. But I think it might be time for us to move on to uh, listener feedback. And boy, did Craig deliver some listener feedback for this race. Yes, but before we get into that, uh, we will let Jamie get back to work. Um, you know, you can only be let bask in the limelight of podcasting for so long. It's got to be, you know, short sections at first. So um, thank you very, very much, Jamie, for keeping in touch with us throughout the weekend, sharing your lovely photos with us, and then now taking the time out of your schedule to, uh, to you know, have a conversation and, uh, and be part of the show. I really appreciate it. You guys are so welcome. I really enjoyed it. And um, I will be back in the F1 paddock circus in a few days' time in Canada. Oh, you are going oh, to Montreal. Brilliant. Nice. Yep. I'm, in, I'm doing Canada, which is a great race. If, if you ever get the chance to go, go. It's a good one. I second that notion. So cool. Well, we'll speak to you at some point in the future, and uh, hope to uh, hope your travels and everything go well. Hope you don't get too much stinky champagne, uh, unless you know what that doesn't sound all that bad. Uh, you know, I hope uh, hope you get the shots you're looking for, and we my, will talk to you. soon. My life is a bachelorette party. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Great to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Hi, this is uh, Craig the Kill reporting from Monaco 2014 for funwithcars.com. So, I'm in the paddock area uh, in front of the Red Bull Energy Station watching the race from there. So to give you an idea where that is, I'm sort of just behind. you got the swimming pool, um, you got a stand, they got another long tea stands which look straight on to the garages. So um, there's some boats, and then it's all the paddock area. So I'm in there. So I'm, you know, probably 40, 50 foot from the track. So we'll get an idea of the sound as they come around here, um, which is what you've heard in my other reports. So let's hear how this sounds. Here they come. sound of uh, 21 Formula 1 cars um, roaring past at full speed amazing so what we now know to be a violation of Formula 1 copyright law we have we have sounds of Formula 1 cars in audio format brought to us by the fearless Craig the Kilt so thank you for that 
for the the clips of audio, and it it definitely doesn't come through um, as super impressive over the phone, uh, you know, recording kind of uh, to hear the sounds. Uh, but you know, yeah, it is uh, it is what it is, um, and uh, and it, it is always fun to just you know hear from you guys on the ground. I think it's great that you hooked up, uh, that Craig hooked up with uh, with Jamie while he was there without. They weren't texting each other and trying to meet up a spot or whatever. Man, that man is just all over a, a paddock area, all over a track, and uh, able to track people down. So, uh, well done, our uh, the, the kilt in action over there to uh, to find Jamie and uh, and you know weasel your way in. If if there's ever if there's ever going to be a guy that finds someone, you know it's Craig. He's he's on a mission and he will win. He will persevere. All right, and since this dead horse is just not quite beat enough. Um, the kilt went on to Stars and Bars Pub, uh, where he was watching part of the race and having a nice glass of red, uh, and was asking other fellow patrons uh, what they thought of the sounds and how their opinions compared to yours and mine, Robin. So let's hear what he has to say about that. I uh, can't wait. What do you think of the engine noise? Uh, well, it's not uh, that great like uh, yet last year. But it's not so terrible as they discussed. I so disagree. Not, yes. I don't agree with you at all. Yeah. I think it's I think it's terrible. It, it's it's not really bad, but it's uh, it's not so good than the, the last engine last year. Huh? Thank you. <laughs> Do you speak English? Yes. What do you think of the engine noise this year? Crap. Give us. Uh, we were just talking about uh, the what you call it, the GP racing. I'd rather listen to the GP and watch the yeah, Grand yeah. Prix on the yeah. TV screen. Good. I agree with you. <laughs> Good man. Yes. Do you speak English? I do. Yes. What do you think of the engine noise this year? Yeah, I believe, but but that run noise, that's a lot, a lot more exciting, I believe. Uh, yeah. In my personal opinion, probably a noise of neighbours, but uh, outside of that... Yeah, it, it, I, I feel that the noise went through your chest and no, your yeah, we, were, we were outside yesterday and uh, watching the GPs and we had goosebumps listening to them go around. Like today, it's just a regular... Regular day. Yeah. It's nothing, nothing exciting. It's, unless there's accidents, and then yeah, it's bad when you just want an accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need the noise back. Thank you. What do, what do you think of the engine noise this year? Of the engine cheer from the engine noise. The... I thought um, it's not very great. That's what I like to hear. I'm the same as the other guy, Jim, that does the podcast for this. Thinks that the engine noise is fine. He thinks it's good. No, it's good. No, it's wrong. It's rubbish. Uh, another word would be it's shit. Mary shit. Shit happens. Thank you. What do you think of the engine noise this year at F1? That's all right. It's fine. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> this, this the Jim who does the podcast, uh, will uh, he agrees with you? <laughs> will, will, this will put a smile on his face. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's like slower, lower sounds. So it's like you know, it's all right. okay. Yeah, I, 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 I think you're wrong, but you know. <laughs> Thank you. No Thank okay. you. <laughs> oh damn! It seems to be about fifty-fifty in the pub. Anyway, that's me. <laughs> and now that most every one of our fans thinks that we have beaten this dead horse repeatedly, there's this proof that we're just getting started. There's so much more to talk about with Formula One noise. We'll just 
keep going and going and going. But it was good to hear everyone's opinion, huh? Yeah, uh, I, I guess uh, you know, as, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's funny because it's it's not as simple as oh yeah, all cars should sound like this or oh this is better than the old ones. It's obviously there's there's more to it than that, but whatever. Everyone's uh, everyone's got different opinions and different takes, and you know we'll see how things shake out if they change anything or put trumpets on the cars or whatever the uh, whatever the future may bring. But uh, either way, um, I'm gonna still watch Formula One, and uh, we're gonna still talk about it and have fun doing so and. Uh, enjoy the spectacle that is Monaco. Enjoy the craziness that is the ongoing battle between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. And uh, you know, just uh, keep keep following up. You know, following these things as they go. Yeah, and uh, you know, thanks to Craig for putting all this uh, together for us. It's this this show has been great. I mean, here we are putting together just as long of a podcast as we otherwise when there was an actual race. Just because there's so much about Monaco that is fascinating that we want to talk about and discuss. I just love it. I didn't know that the police officers were dicks, and now we know that. So <laughs> now we know. You know that that is that is some helpful you know metadata about this race that uh, that we have learned from uh, from firsthand experience. So thank you as always uh, for contributing, Craig the Kilt and Jamie Price. Uh, thank you all our listeners out there for for tuning in, as it were, uh, sending us comments, tweets, uh, Facebook messages, all kinds of fun stuff. And, uh, and keeping up with us from there. Uh, you will hear something from us, uh, of course, for the, um, the Canadian Grand Prix. That's on nice time zones for us. So uh, that should be good fun. And uh, we will keep up with you in uh, just over a week's time. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Visit funwithcars.com. And uh, I am Jim Lau. And I and Robin Warner, uh, once again, just been such a ball to put together this extra po- podcast. So thank you uh, very sincerely to Craig, And uh, as always, huge thank you to Jamie.